Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word, God. We pray you'd speak to us, God, and you, we pray, God, that you would bring us your truth, Lord, and that you give us, Lord, a heart to accept it, to receive it from you. And may it change us here today, God. May, it's, may your word really uh, build a foundation in our lives, God, and may we stand upon your word, your promises, and especially understand who you are and honor you and all that too so i ask for your spirit to be here to anoint this time fill me fill us god uh teach us this morning and we ask this in jesus name and everyone said amen, amen. a years back i remember i got this call it was a it was a spam call uh, it was a scam uh it, it was someone claiming to be from microsoft tech support and they were calling, and this was years ago, they called on the home phone, which I mean, we don't really have anymore because we just have, you know, cell phones. But I remember he was telling me, oh, this is Microsoft tech support. And I, I already knew what it was about, but he was telling me he detected on my computer was this virus. And, and uh, he said, so we need to take care of that because we detected this virus on your computer. And of course, first of all, we're like, Wait, what are you doing? Poking around my computer kind of thing. But um, just to kind of play with them, because I knew what was going on. It wasn't the first time. I responded and asked, well, which computer? And he said, well, it's your, the computer you have there. Well, I have like three, four computers. I mean, which one are you saying? Oh, well, and, and it was just this back and forth, going back and forth, you know. Oh, it's the, it's the one with Windows. Oh, well, I got a couple with Windows. Which one? You know, kind of thing like that. And, and it, it's just going back and forth until finally got tired and hung up. But, you know, for me, of course, I was bothered, you know. Oh, no, here we go again. Oh, no. But for me, I just, I knew what was going on, and I understand computers and stuff like that. So I really wanted to just waste their time, <laughs> right, for wasting my time, yeah, getting back, you know. And I think what we, we feel that many times of, you know, the scammer calls, spam calls, like, oh, you know, and, and you kind of want to get back to them. I came across uh, some funny responses of people as they got back to these spam calls. And like one was um, after five minutes of giving the spiel, this person said, oh, can you repeat that again? I didn't have my hearing aids on. Or, or, or another one, some, you know, a spam call came in and that person answered said, hey, great timing. Can you settle this argument between me and my wife? And he kind of got into that. I thought that was a funny thing. Uh, one person said how he told the, the caller, hold on, and he put the phone down and walked away for a long time. <laughs> uh, someone else said, uh, said when the call came, they knew what it was. They handed the phone to their three-year-old to talk to them. Uh, another one, uh, they responded with this, oh, I'm so glad you called. There is this Nigerian prince who left me $10 million, and, and I need to send him a bank account number to collect. So give me yours, and we can split it. Uh, that, that was pretty good. Trying to scam the scammer there, right? Um, I was cracking up with this one. Uh, someone said that spam call came in, and, and they asked the caller, can you belch the alphabet? I can, just listen. <laughs> but I do like some, some of these that I found. Um, the response was more like this. Do you believe in 
the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thought, oh, that's cool. And, and uh, as I was reading on, though, the caller said, oh, yes. And then the, the, the one who got called said, oh, you know what? He wants you to quit calling people to scam them. <laughs> but I thought, hey, what a better thing. You know, what an idea when they call in just and you happen to pick up. You know, we have this spam blocker stuff now, but maybe you happen to pick up. Start sharing Jesus Christ to them. You know, <laughs> I thought, hey, that's a, that's a great idea. Yes, you can see in my heart, probably yours, that there's pleasure yeah we kind of take pleasure to try and get back at those who who are trying to scam us or maybe you've been through a situation where uh, they stole money for you they from you they tricked you i mean one time i ordered something on um, ebay and and the software was wasn't valid it wasn't real you know it was a knockoff kind of thing and and we we're going back and forth finally got ebay involved and all that but you know you feel like this need for for justice you know inside of you well last time in our study in Second Peter, we learn how, and the title was, to recognize spiritual scammers. Well, today, as we continue here, Peter wants to reassure us that for these false teachers, these spiritual scammers that were happening back then and even, even now and throughout the ages, Peter wants to reassure us that justice will be done. God will get his justice. God will bring judgment. And that's the title of our message. Justice will be done. Justice will be done. He's going to reassure us on that fact. So maybe we're feeling like or maybe we want to take some extreme action. But, but you know what? We need to leave it to God because for sure justice will be done. We're going to be studying 2 Peter chapter 2. Uh, picking up where we last left from the second part of cha- uh, verse 3 all the way to verse 9 this morning. So 3b to verse 9 as it's on the screen. We're going to see three things here that Peter gives us. And number one is the certainty of judgment. Number two, the case in point, or really the cases in point. And number three, the confirmed rescue. So I, I've broken it apart, our passage, into these three things. So Understand, justice will be done. And number one, we're going to see the certainty of judgment. The certainty of judgment. That's our our heading here in our outline. Now, we're going to just, for this section, just uh, take a look at verse 3, that second part that we didn't get to last week. So take a look with me here in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3, the second part, it starts with there. It reads like this, their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. And we'll pause right there. Now we, be, we begin, once again, the Apostle Peter's writing here. And he begins in verse 3, the second part, with their, their condemnation. Who is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the false teachers. As we saw last week, they come in as ministers of God, as as. as as someone with a message from God or they, they got this prophecy or vision or something like that. They come in like an angel of light, as we mentioned, and they come in talking like it's truth, but it's really a lie. They mix the truth with the lie, scripture with lie, to mislead people all for what? Well, for their own gain. Remember at the beginning of verse 3, it says, and in their greed, they will exploit you with these false Words. So these 
false teachers that come in doing this wicked, evil thing to lead people astray from God, to lead people away from true salvation in Jesus Christ, to lead believers away from the truth of God. Well, here Peter says their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Their judgment that that is coming upon them. They're under condemnation. They're destined, here in verse 3 says at the end, is for, they're destined for destruction. What does, when, when you read that, it's really talking about going to hell. They, God's going to judgment. They're going to end up in hell for what they are doing. It's kind of like what he mentioned in verse 1. Remember, he said at the end of verse 1, bringing upon themselves swift destruction and we talked about that these guys it means they're not saved they they don't know jesus they're not embracing the truth in that way and so they're they bring it upon themselves and it's going to be swift they're not going to expect it because they believe like oh i'm okay because they don't really believe it and it's going to come upon them so in verse three peter's like hey their condemnation it it's going to come no worries about it he he says their condemnation is not idle it's not like it's, nothing's going to happen to them. No, it's going to happen. It's not at the end of verse 3. It's not asleep. Their destruction, destruction isn't inert or, or like nothing's going to happen. It's not like, well, God is such a loving God. He'll, he'll, he'll be okay with that. No, we know better. God is also a holy and just God. So their condemnation, their judgment is for sure here. It's certain of judgment that's going to happen to them notice how it says in verse 3 their condemnation from long ago it speaks of how this judgment for false teachers it's it's been here all along that god will not let it go that uh, they're reserved for judgment all false teachers are reserved uh, judgment is reserved for them for god will not and does not tolerate false teachers, false prophets who misrepresent him, who misrepresent his truth. How they come in with those lies and and false words. God will not let that go. In Ezekiel chapter 13 verse 9 uh, the Lord talking about uh, saying, talking here. He says, My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They come in like, Oh, the Lord has spoken to me. You know, Oh, I've seen this vision and God is giving me that. They shall not be, the verse goes on, in the counts of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord God. So the Lord, you're saying, look, I'm the Lord. I'm holy. I'm just. You know, I'm not going to tolerate this. They're not going to be part of Israel. They're not going to be part of those who will be my people. And they are not. So you see, judgment is in store for all false teachers. You know why? Because they directly go against who God is. That's really what we're seeing here. That's what we got into our minds. I mean, God's not going to tolerate 
Oh, yeah, you may say, well, God is loving and, you know, he'll forgive me and all that. And thinking that, well, I'll be okay if I keep on sinning. Well, no, he's not because God is also holy. God is also just. And you have to understand this, that, and we know this, the scripture is clear that God is truth, right? God is truth. The word is truth. Psalm 119 Verse 116. We know that about God. He is, He embodies truth. He is truth. Everything is truth. So, so He's not going to allow that lies and false words and false teaching to go on. Of course not. We also know, as Jesus said in John 8 44, He was saying, Hey, you know what? The devil is a liar. He's, a, he, he's the father of lies. So we know Satan goes against that truth, the truth of God, and he tries to corrupt the truth, the word of God, with the false. So if you see things that way and you put it together, because God is holy, because God is righteous, because God is just, he has to be a just judge, right? He cannot turn his uh, head and have a blind eye to injustice or wrong. That, those kind of judges we look down upon, and God being holy and true, he, he, he's, knocking, he's not that kind of God, right, in his character. So God, being holy and just, he must deal with those who, who, along with Satan, attack truth. Who give out lies masked by saying, well, this is true. Understand, it's one thing to tell a lie, but it's more worse to teach lies as if, they were God's truth. So here's Peter. He's putting this out for us to comfort us, to, to show us that, you know what, the certainty of judgment is for all false teachers. It's going to come for all false te teachers. It's for sure. The certainty of judgment is what Peter is speaking about here. I was thinking about how um, in uh, Alaska, I was reading about this a while back and looked it up again, but in Alaska, this man named Barrett Fletcher is a self-proclaimed pastor of his church. And the name of his church is this, the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. They actually registered and they are actually recognized as a church. Uh, though he formed this to like mock other churches, he was actually asked to open up with prayer a local government meeting. Isn't that crazy? Well, let me read to you what he said in this prayer. He had a colander on his head, and he prayed this. I'm called to evoke the power of the true inebriated creator of the universe, the drunken toler tolerator of all the lesser and more recent gods, and maintainer of gravity here on earth. Isn't that crazy? I mean, to disrespect God in that way, you think, how can you, you, dis, you know, do that to the Lord? Call him a drunken God? Even in, in jest and all that, it, 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 it hits my heart wrong. I don't know about you. And I really fear for him because this is not a joke. We know who God is. We know the Lord God. And one day, every one of us, 
We're going to stand before God. Of course, us believers in Christ will be in the bima seat, the judgment seat of Christ. But the great white throne judgment will be everyone else. And one day, that man will stand before God. And I guarantee he will tremble. He will cower. He, all this joking or, or frivolousness and all that will be gone. And he will see God is real. And the Lord God is holy. He's righteous. He's powerful. And so you can see there is a certainty of judgment. Peter is understanding this too. You know, as believers, let us, you know, uh, place God's truth on a high place in our mind and our hearts. Let us put God on that high place too. That we understand this God whom we serve, who we believe in, that He is all-powerful. He is holy. He is righteous. He hears. He sees everything we do. And we thank God for the cross and Jesus and His blood. But that doesn't make us excused to do whatever and say what we want. And we should treasure our Bibles, this word of truth. We should respect and honor what we have in our hands because there is this certainty of judgment for all the false teachers coming. And justice will be done. This is the certainty of judgment. Well, let's go on here to number two. The case in point. And really, there's going to be three things here. And we're going to look at verse 4 through 6 in this section. Uh, let's go ahead and read verse 4, first of all. Peter goes on and says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept unto judgment. And we'll pause right there. Now, Peter's bringing these examples, or biblical examples from the Old Testament, really from the book of Genesis. And he's giving us examples of how this holy and righteous God, he's not going to sleep on this. He's not going to let things go. And so we're going to see three judgments, three ways we see justice being done. And the three ways, I'll give it to you, uh, uh, all three, first of all, is number one, the fallen angels with the fallen angels. Number two, with the fallen world. And number three will be with the fallen society. So we're going to be seeing those three things. But case in point, he begins with the fallen angels. Number one is the fallen angels. God brought justice with the fallen angels. And that's what he's talking about here in verse 4. Now, we read here, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned. Well, who are these guys? Who's angels that sin? Well, we understand that's fallen angels, right? In other words, demons. We're talking about demons. Now, we, we find in Scripture that angels were created as holy beings to serve the Lord. We, we understand that. They do His beating, bidding. From, from, I said beating, huh? but sometimes he does come and, uh, you know, and, and brings to judgment. But he does his bidding. They serve him. They dwell with God in heaven. They, they worship and adore God before his throne there as God sits there in heaven. These are the angels that we understand have learned about throughout our study in the Bible. So we know angels were created as holy beings. But we also come to understand that in the word that angels also have this free will. They can make a choice for themselves. 
And how do we know that? Well, we know the highest ranking angel, Lucifer, Satan, the devil, in Isaiah 14, he desired what? To be like God. Well, I want to be like God. He desired to be worshipped like the Lord is worshipped. He wanted to be exalted above God in his pride, in his, in his self uh, focused on himself. This angel, a high-ranking one, he, Satan, rebelled against God in that way. And we know in Revelation chapter 12, if you remember when we studied that, verse 4, one-third of all the angels in heaven chose to rebel against God with the devil. So we see angels were holy, they're created in holiness, but these Fallen angels, they're cast out of heaven because of that. And that's why they're called fallen angels. They chose in their own free will to rebel against God himself, the truth of God himself, and follow the devil who wanted to be exalted like God. So these once holy angels fell in that sense when they chose to follow sin and follows or chose to sin by following Satan. And that's where we get, well, demons. Those are the demons. All right, so Peter says in verse 4, For if God did not spare angels when they sin, but cast them into hell. Now, if you think about it, is he talking about all these angels, one-third, and I mean, think about that. There, there's like thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. The Bible says myriads and myriads, like innumerable angels. One third, that's a lot, that left heaven and followed Satan. Well, who are these fallen angels? Well, uh, that were, uh, uh, in verse 4, cast them into hell. Uh, if you think about it right now, these demons are still running around, right? So what's, who are these guys? Well, these certain fallen angels are really the worst of the worst of demons. And we find this because it says they were cast into hell. The Greek word is tataro, and it really is borrowed from Greek mythology. To help people understand what hell is like, Peter uses this Greek uh, word, meaning like like this, this deep, down uh, a cavern, this pit. And we talk about this as the bottomless pit, the abyss that we saw in Revelation. Uh, this uh, hell, or the Taurus, uh, he commanded them to chains of gloomy darkness. They were chained up, which gives us this idea that they were imprisoned, right? They were incarcerated, and it's this deep, gloomy darkness that speaks more of this bottomless pit this abyss so these demons now they were incarcerated and to be kept verse 4 until the judgment they're waiting really for their final sentencing you can say and when uh, we saw in Revelation 20:10 when the devil the antichrist the false prophet and all the demons and these guys are cast into, you remember? What's their final end? The lake of fire. Yeah. That's their ultimate 
judgment. So these guys are kind of like in maybe a holding cell for now. They're chained up. They're in prison. And they're, they've been judged and sitting there awaiting for that final judgment uh, when they're everybody, all the, the demons and, and the devils cast into the lake of fire. Now, again, right now, Satan, other demons, they're on the loose in the world, right? Ephesians 6, right? That we don't fight against, you know, flesh, but principalities and powers and rulers, right? Of the heavenlies, of the spiritual world. But these particular demons, these particular fallen angels were so bad that God had to imprison them. So, the question is, okay, these are fallen angels, but these, and these are the worst, the worst of the demons, and they're incarcerated. What did these really bad angels do, you know, to warrant them to be in this place? What did they do? What is it? We don't know exactly. We really don't know. It, it, we, we're not very clear exactly of what they did. Some say that, they did something really bad uh, before creation. During, uh, they, maybe when Satan rebelled, they did something really bad and they, they wanted them to be thrown in this uh, bottomless pit. Some, though, refer, there's another place that perhaps this is the reason why. Some refer to Genesis 6. And in Genesis 6, we read about the sons of God. This was before the flood. The uh, sons of God, they went in with the daughters of men. So uh, the idea is these sons of God, one, one version of this, is that they were demons who took the form of a human and they went in and had relations with, uh, they made it basically with with human females, and the result of the race in Genesis 6 was the Nephilim. They were giants with like superhuman strength. And it's believed that that was done to pervert the human race to prevent the Messiah who was to come out of the human race. So that's a thought there. It could be that. Even that instance of what happened when the sons of God went into the daughters of men, that's even hard to interpret. Some believe they were actual angels taking that form of a human. Some say that, well, he, um, these angels possessed a human and, and it resulted in this race. Some say, well, no, the sons of God really talks about the line of Seth. Uh, they got corrupted with, with uh, uh, the world and all that. It's a strange, it's a hard passage and, and uh, it's hard to really interpret and you can come talk to me later if you want about that. But we studied that back then. But it seems, though, that they, these guys did something so bad to pervert God's way that they had to be judged and placed in this prison. So Peter's point, no matter what that is exactly, he gives, look, case in point, since God did not spare the fallen angels who perverted God's will, way, then will he not judge false teachers who pervert the word of God? That's really what Peter is saying. So case in point is these fallen angels who are judged in prison for 
the, this bad stuff that they did, yeah, to pervert, maybe if it's Genesis 6, to per, pervert the human race, well, they got judged. Well, so will false teachers who pervert the word of God. So case in point, as he did with the fallen angels, justice will be done with false teachers. Well, he goes on here in verse 5 to a second case in point, the fallen world, the fallen world. First of all, it's the fallen angels. And number two is the fallen world. And here, look at verse 5. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herod of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So Peter now brings up another case in point, And he's talking about he, God did not spare, verse 5, the ancient world. This refers to the world before the time of the flood. We go back to Genesis 6. Once again, at the end of verse 5, he, it says he brought a flood upon the world of what? The ungodly. And in our studies in Genesis, and if you read Genesis 6, you, you see what was going on. The world was very wicked. Uh, uh, it says in Genesis 6, 5 that there was wickedness and it was great in the earth. So there's a lot of evil, wickedness going on. And... Uh, it says there that every intention of thoughts and heart were evil continually. There wasn't any good. It was this constant wickedness and thoughts of doing evil. And it was so bad. Think about how bad this is. It was so bad and grievous to the Lord that in verse 6, Genesis 6, the Lord regretted creating man, created, creating human beings. That's how bad it was. It was so bad that we read here in verse 5 that only eight people were preserved, were saved from that flood. That was Noah and seven others, which we know it was his wife and then his, his three sons with their wives. So only eight people were preserved. They were not under this judgment. And, and I say only uh, I was reading, I was kind of looking this up uh, yesterday, that some believe at that, what's the word, an, an, antediluvian world or before the flood world, right? In that ancient world, in this fallen world as it was, some feel if you, if you calculate the generations and, 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 and the, the, the trees, genealogies and all that, they feel that there was at least 750 million people on the earth at that time. Some even go as high as 4 billion people. Think about that, like billions of people. And, it, and the word says in Genesis 6 that every intention of thoughts, of their thoughts and heart was evil continually. So I'm just painting a picture of you, to you guys of how bad things really were. And only eight people were saved. So no wonder God's like, oh. no wonder he was greed, right? So here's Peter. He's saying, look, case in point. And this is the second case in point. Since God did not spare this fallen world who opposed his truth now, that, then will he not judge the false teachers who oppose his word? Notice here in verse 5, it says, uh, preserve Noah, 
a Herod of righteousness. We understand, I believe it was in Hebrews that talk, Hebrews 13 that talks about Noah preached all that time, 120 years. Yeah? And when he was building the ark, he was preaching a flood's coming. Get right with God. God is true. God is real. And that whole time, no converts. I don't know if his family was already there believing that. But so you understand that God did not spare the fallen world who opposed his truth. Noah was the one preaching that truth. Then he will not judge false teachers who oppose his word. You know, I was really grieved thinking about that. That many people in the world, that many that died. I mean, we think about the ark and everything. Yeah, people died. I know the movies, a whole crowd of people, you know, banging on the door when the God closed the door and things like that. But in my mind yesterday, it just, it just hit me how evil the world was and how many perished. And it broke my heart. You know, they... If you convert the cubits and, and the measurements there in, in Genesis, the ark was a uh, Noah, the ark that Noah built was 510 feet long, which is one and a half football fields. It was 50 feet high, as high as like a four-story house. It, it had a capacity of, of 450, say, large shipping containers. They estimate, right, um, guys who into all of this, you know, and creationists and stuff, they estimate that there was 50,000 different kinds of animals on the ark. But still, and this is what I was reading, but still, there's 1.5 million cubic feet of room left. Which means there was room for much more people. For people to be saved. But there was no one else but the eight people on board. Isn't that heavy? God is just. He's holy. He has to bring judgment upon sin. But God is also love, you guys. God, he had Noah preach to the people. He, God sent them there so more would be saved. But they didn't see the truth. They didn't, they, they, they didn't want it. And it really shows how wicked the world became. So, how sad that was. The judgment still came. Well, we come now to the third case in point. Since God did not spare the fallen uh, uh, angels or the fallen uh, world, God did not also spare the fallen uh, society. The justice will be done, and we see it also in this case in point. Number three, the fallen society. And this is verse six. Take a look with me here. It says, If by turning cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. So Peter now brings up Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and, And everybody, I mean, even unbelievers know about Sodom and Gomorrah, how God wiped them out because of what? Their ungodliness, their wickedness, their sin. That these cities had an ungodly society. 
Now, judgment came for this society. Why? Well, it, 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 because in Genesis 19.13, it says they were extremely wicked and constantly sin against the Lord. That's the NLT. So they are very wicked too. They are, they are very evil too. Well, wicked in what way particularly? Well, we find out what was peaking in that society, actually in Jude chapter 7, or Jude verse 7, Jude is just one chapter. But let me read to you what it says in Jude 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which is other towns and stuff around them, which likewise indulge in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. If you read Jude, if you get a chance this week, read Jude, it really parallels what Peter's saying here in this chapter we're looking at Second Peter. So we see that they pursued sexual immorality. Their society got so bad that they, they were immoral in, in how they handled sex. Uh, they pursued unnatural desire. Now, when we studied this in Genesis 6, we got a picture of what Jude is saying. Society's perversion is really seen in Genesis 19. You remember when the two angels came and they came to lead Lot and his family out of the city because God was going to rain down that fire and brimstone. And so he needed to get Lot out first before God could judge the city. Well, when this, these angelic beings came, right, we read in Genesis 19, and I quote, all the men of Sodom came out. It also says young and old came. And what did they come to do? They wanted to know, or really what that means, is have sexual relationships with the angels who took the form of men. So do you understand what's going on? You see, it, it was this homosexual sin of Sodom that was accepted, not only accepted, that, that's what it was like in the societies of both Sodom, Gomorrah, and the towns around them that brought this judgment upon these cities. You see, it was so bad, so bad was this rejection of God and His truth. So bad, as Jude said, that there was this unnatural desire and you know what? It was so bad that the angel, they were, they were going to break down the door of Lot's house, right? If you remember. That the angel opened the door uh, and, and uh, struck everybody with blindness. Did that stop them? Did they go, oh, no, no. Did that put fear in their heart? No. They kept groping around trying to find the door even after that. That's how bad it was. The men of Sodom wanted to have homosexual relationship with angels. And if it's what's true with the fallen angels, what we saw earlier in Genesis 6 and in this first part, this case, first case in point, yeah, who these angels right, had relations with human females, here these human men wanted to have relations with 
these angels in the form of men. I could see why, the, why God judged this, those cities. Because the society in these cities crossed the line. And so they were facing the judgment. You know, it, it, how sad, how bad, how, uh, uh, how it went down, this society. And it, it, it really is what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 27. He said, and men likewise, and the verse above he was talking about women, sleeping with women. He says, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So you see, the third case in point, really, is since God did not spare this fallen society that rejected God's truth, then will he not judge false teachers who reject his word? You know, we live in a a world, a society today, right, where traditional marriage is attacked. We, We talk about it, don't we? We see it. We see how the Bible says, God's word, his truth, that he made man and woman. He made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, like I said, right? That's, that's God's creation. He, what God originally intended, you know, has changed so much. And, and, and what God made has turned from a moral issue to, I say, a race issue. Yeah? It's becoming like, oh, no, you know, we're, we're, we're being, um, what's the word? And, you know, and, uh, it's like, oh, yeah, you guys are... Um, what's that? Discriminating. Yeah. And, and it's like this race issue kind of thing. But what is it really doing? It's rejecting God's word and what he intended, right? And it's also spread into who God made you when you were born. That's under attack too, right? I mean, we read in Genesis 1, right, that God made a male and female. That's it. Did you know that um, now on, the, on different applications, but I, I think it really started with the U.S. passport application, a person can check either male, female, or X. It, it's there. God made male and female, not X. And with our society changing, drifting, rejecting God's word and his truth. Sadly, we see many denominations, Christian denominations in the United States are what they call affirming LGBTQ. They're changing centuries of their own doctrinal foundations. What, what, what they, they stood upon. What do you think God would say to these ministers teaching this? This is what Peter's talking about. As he brings in these case in point, as our society changes, is God going to just accept it? Oh, yeah. 
Is it true the interpretations of, oh, well, well that, that was for back then, but today it's different. Is it right to, to make things relevant by changing the meaning of words and, and what we find in the Bible and principles there? And there are those pastors who will stand up and teach people these things. One day, these ministers will all give account to what they taught. And that's going to be a scary time. But you know, you and I, we have to handle the Word of God correctly. We've got to be careful of those influences of our society coming in, challenging what we've always believed in, challenging what we've been taught as we, we study the Bible. We cannot let those things drift us into what is not true. Ruth Graham once said this, if God doesn't soon bring judgment on America, he'll have to go back and apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's true. It's true. But let me clarify something here. God loves LGBTQ people. He does. God loves them. And, and so do I. And I care for anyone who is in that lifestyle. And I've known many who have come out through salvation in Christ Jesus. I've met them. I've talked to them. They, were in, they came into the church where um, I was on staff with years ago. What I'm saying today is just what the Bible says. I can't change that. It's not me. It's God. But we also know, yes, God is just. And this is His truth. But God also loves. And if you, if you want to look in 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The reality is judgment is coming. Judgment will come. But God's desire is that you will not be under that. That you, will, you would open your eyes and your heart to the truth what Christ has done to save you from that judgment. To save you from, from the false uh, uh, lies and the falseness from Satan himself. That you find truth and what reality is and what, what God's design is. That's God's love reaching out right now. Maybe at the sound of my voice or you're in here, you're, you're, you're caught up in that lifestyle. Maybe uh, um, there's tendencies inside you and you're confused. Well, go to God and find the truth of who you really are who God really is. Because you know what? In our society today, there is hostility in anyone, and even God, who believes in what I'm telling you right now. And they say things that aren't true. No, I'm not a homophobic. No, I, I love any homosexual. I don't like their sin. But I still care for them. 
and I care for their soul. So if you're caught up in that, know that God loves you. And go to him today because you know what? Justice will be done. Well, let's go to number three now, the confirmed rescue. Justice will be done, number one, the certainty of judgment. Number two, case in point. And now we come to number three, the confirmed rescue. Here we're going to finish up here in verse 7 through 9. But first of all, look at verse 7 and 8. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. We'll stop there. Okay, Peter, he comes in here and, and, and he's, he, he does say, look, even though no one is really perfect, God does save people from judgment. And we saw it in verse 5 that Noah and his family were preserved, right? The word preserved back in verse 5 means to to be put in a protected place. And what was that? That was the ark for them. And then here in verse 7, we see that Peter saying that he rescued righteous Lot. Now at first, you may read this and go, wait, Lot? Righteous? What? Well, we know God did rescue him, right? He wasn't under that judgment that fell upon Sodom. Uh, but it seemed like Lot was more carnal in it, anything, and, and I think he was in a way. We read in Genesis 13, 12 that he pitched his tent towards Sodom. It started there. In Genesis 14, 12, he then d- was living in Sodom. In Genesis 19, 1, that he was sitting in a gate. In other words, he became like a leader in Sodom. In Genesis 19, 8, when the angels were there and the men were like, we want to sleep with these guys, you know what, Lot's telling them, no, no, don't do this, don't do this, it's not right. I'll tell you what, I'll give you my daughters. I'm like, what is wrong with you? There, right? So you kind of wonder, what, huh? In Genesis 19.31, after Sodom and Gomorrah uh, was, was burned with brimstone and fire, uh, he, got him, he, was allowed, he allowed himself to get drunk in a cave by, by his daughter. So you kind of think, what, righteous, Lot? But what we're reading here is something the Holy Spirit is revealing to us. It's something that we don't read about in Genesis, but it's something that is revealed to us here about inside of him. And that's what Peter's sharing, that inside, deep down, in his heart, there was evidence that he held to what? The truth of God. That he was distressed yeah, uh, uh, by the sensual conduct of the wicked, that sexual immorality. That he, in verse 8, that though he lived among them day after day, he, it was tormenting his righteous soul. He didn't like it. He knew it was wrong, right? He, it, it just bothered him so much, and it weighed upon them, him about their lawless deeds or their sin. So Peter shares this evidence of Lot's faith when he, when how Lot clung to the truth of God inside. Maybe the outside wasn't as clear, but on the inside, it was there. I was thinking about C.H. Spurgeon shared once that after service, a man came up to him all condemned and, 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 and just confessing his sin and, and just his struggles with, with, with sin and even was condemning himself thinking, I don't know if I'm even saved. Well, um, Spurgeon uh, responded to him and well just the fact that you're struggling inside just the fact that you're feeling bad about it there's signs of life 
inside. And I think that's what Peter's sharing with us, that they're signs of life. So that's why he says righteous Lot. And we know Lot was uh, uh, rescued, right, from the judgment on Sodom. So then verse 9, our last verse, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So Peter's like, look, if Noah was preserved, Lot was delivered, then the Lord knows how to rescue you. The word trials here uh, is really about adversity, affliction, or if, if this judgment that is falling, like in verse 9, the unrighteousness are under that punishment until that day of judgment. Well, that's not going to fall on you. You're going to be rescued. Like Noah, you'll be safe in the ark. Like Lot, you will be taken out of the city before judgment comes. So Peter's idea here is just as sure God will judge the false teachers, so God will keep believers from judgment. That's really the idea here. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So just as Noah and even Lot were rescued, this is what we see here. This is the confirmed rescue. If you look at them, it confirms that, you know what, believers will be extracted. I like that word. There will be an exfil, you know, like in the movies, yeah? There will be. And we understand that. We understand before judgment falls upon this world, as we know it, the church will be taken out in what? The rapture. The rapture. That's why. The seven years tribulation, it is that tribulation. It's that time of trial. It's that judgment of where the wrath of God falls upon the earth. Are Christians under that wrath? Are believers? No, we are not. We'll be up in heaven watching the whole thing like uh, uh, on the biggest TV screen you've ever seen. So we will be taken up before all that happens in the rapture. So that's the confirmed rescue. We see it with Noah and Lot. It will be for us believers. We will be extracted also. So make sure where you're at. Make sure you're on the right path. Make sure for God here in verse 9 says, and to keep or they're under, the unrighteous are under punishment until the day of judgment. Where are you today? Listen, if you're not right with God, get right with God through Jesus Christ. The end is coming. We talk about it all the time. We see the signs being fulfilled already. The stage is set. Understand, God knows his own and he's not going to abandon his own. God will rescue his own. So do you belong to the family of God? Do you have Jesus in your heart? Come to Jesus. Receive him today. What we're seeing today is the answer. It's a warning and the answer is Jesus Christ. What we see today is, wow, we see why judgment has to come. But you don't have to be under that. If you have Jesus, you can be rescued from that. And you know what? God is here right now. God is waiting. God has been, been waiting for you to see the truth in Jesus. I'll close with this. A student on tour with a group at, at the, of the Washington Monument, um, he lingered a little too long enjoying the breathtaking view and everything. Well, at 515... 
he went to go down, but he found the elevator had stopped running. Uh, a sign said at 5 p.m. The doors to the stairs were also locked too. He shouted for help, but nothing. For three hours, he pounded on the door, screamed, but to no avail. At about 8.30 p.m., exhausted, scared, he took a look around and noticed something that he didn't see before. It was a telephone. <laughs> Picked up the phone. Immediately, someone answered, and they came and released him just in minutes. But that makes me think about, look, God is right here. God is right here right now. The, the telephone has been here all along. The word of God, salvation in Christ that we find here. The truth of Jesus is here to save you, to save you from the coming judgment on the world. Will you do that? Will you make the choice today? God desires no one to perish, so he's calling out. Please respond to Jesus, because as we saw and learned here, justice will be done. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to a close here, God, I, I, <clears throat> I thank you for the truth in your word, Lord. It helps us to clarify maybe things that society is saying to us, what other people may be hostile to us toward. Sometimes we question, is, is it right? Is it, are, we, are we being inhumane here? No, God, it, it's your truth. We still love. We still care. And maybe there's things going on inside. But God, your word is living and powerful. And it makes things clear inside of us. So Lord, as we see this, God, we want to respond in continuing to stand upon your word continuing to hold to your truth. And Lord, I pray for those who have wandered away from it, that they would come back to the truth. I pray for those who have been drifting, those who have been listening to society, our fallen world. God, that you would pull them back to your truth and they would reset, God, to your standards, to your principles, to who you are. And I pray for those who have never really received Christ that this would be the moment that they would receive Christ. Right now, Lord, may you call upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.